I think maybe we would just open the book with imagine a world where. And I think it's about imagine a world where you had more time in your day. Imagine a world where you could really think about and spend your time doing the things that matter most to you. Hello everyone, this is the Optimistic Outlook and I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA. One of the reasons I started this podcast was I wanted to get some different conversations going about America's infrastructure. We've all heard the gloomy reports. Uh, We've heard about how infrastructure is crumbling and how we're outgrowing it, how we're underinvesting, but there's a much bigger trend at play. And that's a fourth industrial revolution that represents the convergence of uh, the physical and the virtual worlds. The first industrial revolution combined steam and water to enable mass production. The second gave us electric power. The third provided computers and electronics that drove forward industrial automation. And the fourth, well, that's what's interesting. Here in the fourth industrial revolution, we're using the technology of communications and entertainment, Uh, things that started with the smartphone and advances in software, data, and connectivity have really forged a new path forward. And one trend that's working in our favor is the advancement of 5G, which could impact infrastructure, industry, businesses, things in ways we haven't even imagined yet. And that's why I've invited on Elise Neal. She's the vice president of new business incubation at Verizon. And when she's not tap dancing or rapping about her team, she's leading efforts to generate and curate innovation across Verizon. Bringing to bear her experience in big data platforms, analytics, and digital advertising, Elise oversees everything from initial strategy to full stack execution for innovation within Verizon, and her team houses industry experts in location technology, drone and aviation services, and other emergent technologies. And the transformative work they're doing is directly fueling Verizon's 5G future. She's a fascinating spokesperson for 5G and its future potential. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Elise Neal, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Elise, tell me a little bit about your background as we get started. Um, How did you get into technology and what does your team at Verizon do? Well, if I go way back to the beginning, I started as a former, I'm a former professional tap dancer kind of turned technologist, which I actually think has made my parents so proud. But if I go back maybe to my business start, I started at an advertising agency where I started really falling in love with storytelling. And that storytelling and the curiosity kind of led me into technology where I then moved into the big data revolution. And in that kind of working with large kind of those first iterations of big systems, big data, I started kind of being curious about what happened underneath that. How did, how did the data come to be? What are the systems? What do they look like? And so in that, I think that discovery process of understanding how technology and then ultimately data can help us tell stories really fostered a love that I've created um, and cultivated over time. And I think one of the most beautiful things about technology is it's not only a capability, but we also have quite a big responsibility with technology. And when I'm thinking about that, we, we really look at technology as one of the underpinnings to business storytelling. And I don't think that technology is kind of the end-all be-all, but it, is, it really just kind of serves as this foundation for us to 
tell our business stories, to tell our personal stories, um, and to think about it just beyond a product. But I've kind of fully bathed myself now in the Kool-Aid that is technology. Um, and so I'm using that at Verizon as the vice president of new business incubation. And I have what I think is the coolest job at Verizon. So my team is responsible for building all of the new software businesses that will leverage the 5G future. So businesses like drones and aviation, HD and 3D mapping, and kind of creating these three-dimensional point cloud fabrics, work in autonomous mobile robots and energy transformation. Um, and so we have our fingers in a lot of different pots as we think about how to leverage the 5G future for Verizon's, uh, for Verizon's new business ventures. That is, is so much to get into, and I'm really looking forward to this. But I'll share with you, one of the things I've been hearing just over and over again recently is that true genius marries the humanities with science. That's exactly the root of what you're talking about. You know, you and I have both been talking about the fourth industrial revolution, and I'm interested to know how you define it, and what do you view as its starting point? Mm. That's a good, that's a good question. I think I take quite a literal definition when I think about the fourth industrial revolution, which of course, every great thing needs an acronym. So we call it 4IR here at Verizon. And so if I kind of break down this, this massive shift that we're undergoing, I kind of think about four different components. And so the first component is really around kind of decentralization of decision-making. This idea that in the past, we would need to kind of go up to the ivory tower, those decisions would be made and then appropriately cascaded down. But now in kind of this 4IR world, we see massive distributed decision-making that is happening locally. The second thing that I think about are kind of high degrees of what I would call kind of technical assistance, the you know, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning components, robotics. How do we allow the machines to have a bit of our intelligence and our brain power, that decision-making and strategic thinking? How do we begin to take it out of the human mind reliance and kind of into the machine? The third piece is really around kind of information transparency. It's kind of like pulling that veil back on where the data sits and how it comes to be and allowing enough transparency kind of between uh, each of the machines and each of the humans to kind of create a, a knowingness of kind of what's really happening. And then ultimately, like the grand poobah of what is fourth industrial revolution to me is this interconnection, this orchestration. It is the combination of physical and digital worlds coming together symbiotically. But you can't have interconnection without any of those other components. And so when I think about when did it start, it, it, like, it's a little bit to me, maybe how you think about the definition of what is gourmet or like what is beautiful. You, you can't really put your finger on it, but you know it when you see it. And so I, I think about big changes like the dawn of hyperscalers right, this massive distributed architecture and system. I think about um, in the late 90s, I think, when um, IBM's Deep Blue, that kind of AI machine, right, beat that famous chess player. I'm like, something is up here. Um, I think about clean energy distributed systems. And then honestly, like last night, I hit the go button on my Roomba robot who com completely 3D mapped my base floor and made sure to not vacuum all of my dog hair in the same place twice. You just know, like, hmm, I feel like we're on to something. So to me, it's kind of a collection of things that kind of hits at each of those different buckets, if that makes, if that makes sense. 
And that makes a world of sense. In fact, um, you know, this is all about that um, use of capabilities as they evolve and then synthesizing that into a new um, a, a new capability that we've never dreamed of before but can't live without. And yes. here comes 5G. And there's a stat that um, 5G is 10 to 20 times faster than today's LTE, and it consumes only one thousandth of the amount of energy per bit transferred. When I think about that, that's transformative. Give our audience uh, your view of what 5G is, what it's going to be used for. Yeah, um, we are so pumped up at Verizon about 5G. So I, I love this question. I think maybe at its most basic level, 5G stands for fifth generation wireless technology. And so actually, if you go back in history and you think about the previous generations, 1G was really about voice and analog. 2G introduced text messaging or short form messaging. And so now we've got like an increased capability with both text and voice. 3G was like the BlackBerry generation with the Palm Pilots and the styluses, right? And now 3G allowed us to kind of introduce this smartphone kind of early rudimentary smartphone connection to the internet capability. 4G and then ultimately 4G LTE produced kind of massive uh, data transfer rates that gave rise to social networking, to Ubers, to the Instacart lady who graciously delivered my groceries yesterday, which has been a miracle. But now, instead of just thinking about the step functions in speed and throughput, which really are the two driving characteristics between each previous generation, 5G, to your point, is completely different. It is just altogether a new type of spectrum. And so in addition to uh, massive speeds and really big fat pipes for data processing, so that speed and throughput, we also get six additional benefits that are inherent to the 5G spectrum that did not exist previously. So those are things like the stickiness of connection. So 5G connection will maintain connectivity up to 350 miles an hour. I don't know what NASCAR and like IndyCar is going to do with that, but they're going to change the sport and I can't wait to be a part of it. I think about energy efficiency, which you brought up, and the idea that it takes 10% of the energy that it takes today to kind of run and manage the network, and then also that machines will benefit in that energy efficiency kind of down the line. I think about ultra-reliability. So we've got five nines of availability at all times and in every way. And then again, maybe the, the ultimate one is really around ultra-low latency, so today, through 5G and through our multi-axis edge compute, so hyper-localized cellular edge compute, we're looking at five milliseconds of latency, which is about 100 times faster than the blink of an eye. It's just wicked fast. So when I think about 5G and what we can do with it, it really has been a complete reframing of our thinking around, okay, this isn't just faster, better. This is completely different. And so... I think sometimes uh, perhaps your listeners might think about, okay, well, like you just, you know, I don't know, turn up the juice on the network and then like, voila, you have 5G. And because the spectrum is altogether different, this is years and years of infrastructure investments, real estate investments. The way that 5G is deployed is completely different than LTE today. And it's all of those years of research and development and investments that we believe and we know to be true that Verizon was first to 5G, that we will continue to be premium in that. Um, and that we will be first to so many new kind of innovations here. You can't just turn it on. It really is kind of altogether different. So when we say 5G, we mean all of it, all of these kind of eight currencies, if you will, kind of coming together 
to create these unique experiences. So hopefully you're getting the sense that I'm excited about it, Barbara, <laughs> uh, because, uh, because I, I love just the newness and the exploratory nature of kind of getting underneath and through that technology, marrying it with the humanities, as you said, and kind of making, making new happen. What would you do with a new tool? Yeah, I mean, we, we're excited about this, too. We see this as really opening up entirely new opportunities uh, in, in the way we connect industry and infrastructure. Just, I'd love to just hear some of your thoughts about how it might be used. Well, um, goodness, I think that uh, when we first started out, and so just in my, you know, in my day job, we're all about exploring what are those new use cases, what are those new businesses, and we kind of started with, well, let's just put 5G on 4G businesses, and then, you know, like, maybe the money will rain from the sky. Well, it, it turns out that's a really bad idea, um, because then you don't kind of flex the inherent benefits. And so when I think about what, what you can do with it, what we have really come to believe is that there are two core pieces of opportunity that 5G presents. First is in the areas of automation, and then second is in the areas of autonomy. And so when I think about automation, and we spend a lot of time in the B2B world, particularly in my group, we think about automating business processes. So how can we use each of those kind of four things that we talked about and kind of what defines 4IR, how do we think about how that impacts business process? How do we think about how that transforms the actual environment? So there's a lot of work around creating digital twins and 3D point clouds and things like that to physically transform moving from physical to kind of digital. The third piece is really around kind of transforming that ecosystem, which to me is the interconnection, that connective tissue between humans and machines and machines to machines. And so when we think about ways that that kind of shows up and, and what must be true in order to facilitate automation or true autonomy, you have to have connectivity. Check, we got that, nailed it. Uh, you have to have software capability, which we have, and through partners like Siemens and through other partners that we have kind of throughout our network, right, creating that fabric. But I, I think that there are other components around kind of fostering automation and autonomy that um, perhaps we aren't spending as much time on as an industry, and maybe I would challenge us to, to think about the first is around security. So when you go to this ultra hyper-connected world and you start removing humans and our decision-making and our logic and that gut of just like, hmm, something's wrong, and you move that to a machine, how do you ensure both physical and cybersecurity in a completely different way than what we've talked about before? Um, and so I think that brings out a dawn of new tools, new systems, new ways to think about it, new ways to protect um, to keep all those bad actors away from um, all of our automation, which could wreak havoc, frankly. The second piece that I think about is really around the human side of it and our safety. I think about um, intermixing humans and machines and what we need to do in order to ultimately ensure that we are safe, that we're doing it um, you know, in a respectful way to the workers and things like that. And so I think there are a number of opportunities as well that we're presented with on the human side, opportunities to upskill. We've made huge investments on the Verizon side and our commitment to upskill not only 500,000 of our workers, but 10 million children to give them the digital skills of the future. And so I think kind of where does it apply? Our main investments sit in that automation and in, in autonomy. Um, but I think that there's more to be done there. And we're so early, like we're just getting started. 
Yeah, um, I'm hearing a lot about this idea that you can do more on the edge. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of, of vehicles, I was at CES this year and I had the chance to see various approaches to autonomous driving. Uh, you know, one vehicle focused, another infrastructure focused, you know, the yeah. road actually telling us where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes the vehicle telling us where we are and what we need to look out for. Um, but I'm also hearing a lot about what may happen in the factory itself. And I'm kind of curious when it comes to rolling out 5G. One of the things I've heard is uh, some of the, the easiest and best first um, implementations are in a manufacturing environment. Yeah. Where you get sort of a closed environment. You can have a little bit of an island of data, maybe for security, et cetera. Is, am, am I hearing that correctly? You are. You're, you're exactly right. I think there are a couple, um, like you said, kind of built-in benefits to thinking about closed campuses. And so whether that's a factory, a hospital, a retail location, but a lot is in that kind of manufacturing and warehousing. And, you know, I'll tell you, it is about, um, there are a couple things that kind of make it a wonderful primary first starter. The first is private 5G and private networking. So we have private networking today. But when you take that amount of a pipe and you you map that fiber directly into a building, what you have in these highly secure spaces is the ability for that to never touch the public internet. So we think about private networking and security, we have that. Then you talked about our edge compute. And so actually putting that in the physical facility, meaning that before it ever goes back to the cloud, that a large amount of that processing and intelligence can happen right there and benefit from that five milliseconds of latency And if you just kind of let your mind wander a little bit about what would that look like and how does it manifest itself, I think about a couple different things. The first is robotics. So both aerial as well as terrestrial robots. We think a lot about uh, what we see today is one robot or one OEM performing a singular task, which is wonderful. So they're automating one thing. What we see in the future is heterogeneous fleets of different types of robots performing a wide variety of tasks in integrating safely and reliably with humans as well. So you have a cleaning robot, a pallet moving robot, a fixed arm robot, all kind of moving, avoiding each other all in real time with the same way that you and I, Barbara, kind of use our eyes to kind of navigate and understand. We're kind of giving those machines sight as well. And then I think one of the other really, really fascinating opportunities that manufacturing in particular brings about is this opportunity of what we call the thin client. It's like putting machines on a diet, which I love. So right now, the machines are responsible for holding and maintaining all of the capacity for battery, for very expensive and heavy sensors, for all their compute and processing power. And I would just ask the question of, well, well, why? And what if we could actually offboard that into a network that was guaranteed to be reliable, to be safe, to have the throughput and the bandwidth and the responsiveness that you needed? Could we then extend the battery life? Could we reduce the bill of materials price? Could we begin to use and leverage those machines in different ways by effectively kind of thinning them out and making them more cost efficient, ultimately to deliver quicker ROI back to the customer um, and to uh, reinforce the benefits and to leverage all these inherent benefits of a 5G world. So, you know, kind of going back to where you started the discussion, there are amazing opportunities outdoor for sure. And we are densifying our public, uh, our public Wi-Fi, or excuse me, our public 5G and our public networking. But we're also spending a lot of time thinking about these really big, quick, meaningful wins that we can bring to our customers in these kind of local closed settings as well. 
I'll tell you, this is just so inspiring to think about. And I'm delighted that Verizon is using your know-how to tackle this part of the technological challenge, or I'll say the opportunity that's ahead, just as Siemens for decades has been working on power. And, and I always say, if you have power and comms, Frankly, you can participate in the digital economy from anywhere. And, and actually, I want to ask you, how do you, how do you live that reality? Where are you working from these days? Uh, goodness gracious. Well, we are fortunate enough to live in the great state of Colorado, which I'm pretty sure is where uh, all of the beauty resides. And, um, and so we decided that we would live a wee bit far out. So we live in a tiny town of Castle Rock in between Denver and Colorado Springs, kind of butted right up to the foothills of our massive 14,000 foot mountains here. And I'll tell you, um, you know, power and comms is a really beautiful combination. So generally speaking, we don't have any problem with power, run well and septic and live a lot kind of off the grid. But my internet connection, heaven help me, is a satellite internet connection where I pay about $150 a month for up to 40 megabytes, um, which means I've never seen 40 megabytes hit my connection ever. So thankfully, I work for a connectivity company, so I have a small cell booster right next to me in my basement, and um, I'm you know, working to participate in my vote for our HOA to actually rip up the ground and lay us some fiber and bring our little neighborhood to the 21st century here. But I think, you know, if I, if I could, if I had power in comms, you know, I would choose to live here. I have three children. They're very much participating in our distance learning society that is today, which is also a challenge as all of us are trying to work and learn at the same time in the house. Um, and then ultimately, I think that what we will see and what we've started to see is kind of this dawn of a distributed workforce that you can really live and work anywhere as long as you have those power and comms. And they are a really beautiful combination, Barbara, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, I, I had the chance to visit Sterling Ranch just outside of Denver um, a, gosh, a year ago. And, um, and what I learned is that they had actually built the community with this technology in mind. And so there are, in fact, people in Sterling Ranch who are service providers for technology that is um, that basically cited in places all around the world, but through this sort of distance capability. Can you imagine a future where, where manufacturers are working from home? I can, and I actually don't think it's that far off. I mean, I really don't think that we're, we're too far away. We see strides in that area, and I actually see this really interesting COVID time as an accelerator there. I think that it has forced not only businesses like us, and I'm certain Siemens as well, since you're calling in from your home, we had to go remote overnight in a week for 100,000 plus workers. Um, I think that these manufacturing facilities in particular have had to think about how do we keep up you know, our 24-hour production cycles, but also maintain workforce safety. And so I think that we have, uh, we have a unique opportunity here not only with kind of those critical conditions of what do you need in order to say yes to kind of remote automation and remote work around connectivity and software, but I also think that we have um, really some meaningful advancements in how are we upskilling our workforce to allow this to not be a scary thing, but to be opportunistic, um, as well as when we think through uh, when we think through what those advancements ultimately will uh, will lead to. I think we still have a meaningful opportunity to demonstrate ROI immediately. And so, you know, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about those thin clients, thinking about how we allow an easier yes for our customers. 
And really it's about that immediacy of ROI. So what we're seeing today right now is um, reluctance in R&D spend, which you know, perhaps you've, you've um, engaged as well. You know, companies are a little bit less, they're a little bit more tentative in terms of how many robots they purchase and how they really think about reimagining. But when they do, that capital investment, since many companies are capital starved, they need that immediate return on investment. So how do we get that in a shorter time horizon? And I think that's really kind of the, that's the gate that we as an industry need to open um, to basically say your investment will pay off in a shorter time horizon than we thought before, and that that will help propel kind of this automation industry forward. I think 5G will be a part of it, but that's not it, right? We need the OEMs to come along. We need the system integrators to come along, et cetera. So I'm hopeful that we're not that far away. And I've seen some really nice kind of like a drumbeat of signs that says, okay, we're getting closer. We're changing hearts and minds. People are more open. But ultimately, it comes down to, can I run my business faster, better, smarter as a result of automation? And I think we just collectively as an industry need to demonstrate that more effectively in order to kind of get over that line. Yeah, uh, we're thinking a lot about new business models. And, you know, what about automation as a service, right? Could yeah. there things that we can do to help cushion the capital blow, but really transition people into new technologies? Yeah. Uh, but, but it's not just the technology. It's the people as well. If, mm-hmm. if What advice would you give to people right now who may be unemployed but are thinking about how to future-proof themselves? Are there things yeah. they should study or um, that training that they should take in order to be ready to participate in the revolution that you're driving? Yeah, I I think that's such a great question. I I would first say that, um, you know, in my, in my personal experiences and reactions with my team inside the company and then with, you know, my broader network, there's a lot of individuals who have unfortunately taken pay cuts or who have lost their jobs and they are creating um, an environment for themselves that is kind of holding on for dear life, which is a very closed um, position to be in. And what we really need in order to propel the future is those people who are risk takers. We need them to be vulnerable. We need them to feel safe and secure with the risks that they can take and to be rewarded for all the times that they fail so that they can get to the one time that they succeed. Um, Because a lot of it is trial and error. I believe that all of us were born with very unique skills for a unique purpose. And so figure out what that is. What's your superpower? What are your ninja skills? Kind of like, what were you put here to do? And if you can channel that, you can channel that in a couple different ways. I think there is a huge lack of workers in all the areas of AI and ML. And so around data science, I think when we think about distributed systems and systems integration, kind of hands-on to me of kind of making it work and ticking and tying all of these different elements together. I think we have a massive need there. And then I also think that we have a a pretty significant lack of, I don't know, creative juju. I think that humanities part of kind of bringing this worldview as we think more holistically about how technology influences society and the responsibility that you and I and others have in the business to make the world a better place, truly. It's safer, it's better, it lasts longer. How do we apply creative thinking to that? How do we bring in the arts? How do we bring in education? How do we bring in other healthcare notions so that we have a more well-rounded view? So even if you're not a technologist and if you've never laid a line of code in your life, I think there really is an opportunity for you to lean in and to kind of create a new realm of discovery kind of in each of these areas matched to your own skill set. Uh, And I think that companies, and and Verizon in particular, is really starting to look under new rocks as we explore new types of talent. 
to, again, kind of create that diversified um, thinking that oftentimes leads to the best ideas. That's fantastic. This, there's a world of opportunity available people from all walks of life. Yeah. You know, I, I'm so delighted that my colleague Josh Angel got us together. When we said we're launching the Optimistic Outlook podcast series, he said, I know just the person we need to talk to. And at least it is true. You are a fellow optimist. And I, it's been so cool to sort of look around the corner with you. I, I'd love to just ask you a closing question about, um, you know, paint the picture. Paint the picture of this optimistic future. What do you see as the true benefits to society as we, as we, as we bring this dream into reality? Uh, wow. Um, I think maybe we would just open the book with imagine a world where. And I think it's about imagine a world where you had more time in your day. Imagine a world where you could really think about and spend your time doing the things that matter most to you. And so to me, what things do not show up on that list are cleaning my house, mowing the lawn, um, you know, driving and commuting in cars. I think about the amount of time that is maybe lost there and this opportunity for me to, as, a, as an individual and as a consumer, to press into those things that really bring me joy and fulfillment in my life. So I think there's kind of imagine a world where you had four to six hours of extra time because of automation and autonomy. As a business, imagine a world where you could leverage your workforce in more meaningful ways, that you could provide potentially more fulfilling jobs, that you can create and leverage their creativity and their unique skill set in new and interesting ways, and use and automate those functions that are perhaps more rote or more routine. And so imagine how we might be able to kind of collectively create new ideas and new concepts of ways of working because we've been able to access these amazing bodies and minds um, that, that we've been given. And I think maybe the last piece would be really around imagine a world where society worked together for the greater good. And I think we spend a lot of time uh, at Verizon. One of our core pillars is really thinking about our responsibility in society. And I think we have a meaningful opportunity to create some big changes there in the ways that we consume energy, in the ways that we give back, in the ways that we protect ourselves in the ways that we ally together in order to create equality and uniformity, or not uniformity, but uniqueness, kind of in, in celebration of our uniqueness collectively as a society. And I think, you know, underneath that, if you were to ask me, okay, well, what are all the businesses and what are all the things? I don't, I don't have that answer for you, Barbara, but I, but I do, uh, in my ultimate positivity outlook, uh, which Josh Angel knows very well, I really do believe that there is beauty in discovery. And I think that if we maybe frame that aperture, that it becomes a really, really powerful opportunity for all of us to kind of put on some new glasses, look to the future and to say, there's something bright out there, let's go get it. I want to build that world with you. Thank you so much, Elise. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a delight, Barbara. We look forward to working with you guys. Bye. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.